0: It's gonna be a long process. You think when somebody comes in and gets saved, suddenly all sin in their life is gone? What happened to you?
1: Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue the message, Acceptance. is from a series called, My Friend Has Questions. Pastor Jeff is speaking from various scriptures on the topic of
0: sexual sin. This is an illustration of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter six. He gives sin personhood and he says, you're never going to defeat sin until you see that it's not you and sin against God, but you and God through the power of the Spirit against sin.
1: This is Today with Jeff Fiennes.
0: we're in an interesting series. My friend has questions and I made a commitment to you that I would take the questions that you sent in and I would take the most popular ones and I would deal with them. I don't like just dealing with one sexual sin. Let's deal with them all. There's no one worse than any other. However, what is our position? Let's put it to you like this. My friend Ravi Zacharias told me this story firsthand. He was at Indiana University and you know, they go around to major places of thinking and learning, and they will present the Christian position. And I think something like 10, 15,000 people showed up in the Hoosier Dome to hear Ravi and his team. The media showed up and they go to Ravi with this young girl says, say, hey, would you mind if we record a little bit of what you say here tonight so we can go back and put it on the news? And Ravi said, I have no problem with that. And Ravi said, how long are you going to be here? She said, about five minutes. <laughs> and he thought, well, how, how much are you going to get in Five minutes. But he said, I didn't want to argue the point. I just said, look, if you're only going to stay for five minutes, when you decide to leave, make sure that you're quiet because we could be at a volatile point in the conversation. If you make noise with your cameras and everything, it will disturb what we're trying to do here. She said, okay. Robbie said, Jeff, she stayed the entire three hours. Once it started, she couldn't leave. And then she came up to me after it was over. And she said, can I have a moment with you, Dr. Zacharias? Now, listen carefully. He said, yes. And Robbie said, is this on the record or off the record? (laughs) She said, off. He said, are you sure? (laughs) Yes. What's your question? She said, Dr. Zacharias, I've heard you speak. There's so much love, and I, I hear what you're saying, but there's something I don't get. Why is it that you Christians rant against racism, but you won't accept the homosexual? And Robbie's response was this. It's interesting that you put the first question as a as an ism and the second question to an individual and he looked at her and he said you have to understand from the christian perspective we believe that race is sacred because it's given by god it's sacred because god determines people and the places of where they live so to discriminate against anybody on the base of race is to discriminate, is to commit cosmic treason against God who decided what nation, what color, what people you would be. Race is sacred. So to discriminate is ungodly. But Robbie said, what you don't understand is that we Christians also see sex as sacred. That God gave you, he made them male and female." And when you ask us to pretend as though a man is a woman and a woman is a man, you're asking us to violate the sacred. That God determines where we would live, who we would be. He determines the sex, man, female, male, female. So when he draws the parameters, he's he's not the big bad cosmic boss. He's saying, because I love you, Because I love you and because this is your design, this is how you are to live. And if you don't live, you're going to be missing out. How many of you would think I was a bad father if I told my son not to play in the middle of the street? Wouldn't that be a loving father? That's a loving father who draws parameters for the sake of the child. God says to his people, I'm the designer. I'm the creator. I made all things. Your race is sacred. Your sex is sacred. Live within these parameters. It's, the, the example I like to use is a sailboat. Uh, you know why? Why does the media s- uh, see race as sacred and then desacralize sex? There's something wrong there. So, if you've got a sailboat, as long as you sail the boat appropriately and treat it according to its design, you can gain incredible speed. You have to go into deeper water. You have to put the sails, position them in the right way. But if you treat the sailboat, if you violate its design, if you take it into shallow water, if you position the sails the and the wind in a certain way, you can capsize the boat, even destroy it. So now you can understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 6.18 when he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. What's he saying? You're violating the design. Your body is not designed to function this way. And if you do function this way, death and disintegration begin. The physical, the spiritual, the psychological, the soul. Now, stay with me. Here's my third scripture. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Because in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is dealing with a situation where there's a young man sleeping with his father's wife. So who's he sleeping with? his mother. And the church at Corinth are so arrogant about it. Yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. God is good. And they're, they're proud of it. Look how free we are. And Paul writes them a letter and says, are you, have y'all you lost it? Where's the guilt and the shame about what's going on here? Where is it? Repent, he tells them. And when you go to this person and they won't repent, he says, kick them out of the church. Kick them out? But then he's afraid they would have misunderstood what he said. So he says this in verse nine, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, Do not even eat with such people. Did you hear what happened just now? Did you hear what he's saying? Oh, (laughs) he's saying the way you're going to treat someone that's not a Christ follower is totally different than the way you're going to treat someone who's a born-again Christian trying to live a holy and pure life. Totally different. Let me walk you through it, and then I'll end, okay? Let me walk you through it. This is an illustration of what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6. He gives sin personhood, and he says you're never going to defeat sin until you see that it's not you and sin against God, but you and God through the power of the spirit against sin. And all that you have to do to defeat sin is refuse to give the members of your body to sin. So if sin says, let me borrow your eyes, you say no. Let me borrow your mouth, you say no. It's a great illustration. You have power through God and his spirit to defeat sin. So he says, don't go on lending the members of your body to sin to fulfill its evil desires. Now, the Bible says why are you expecting someone who does not have the power of the spirit in them to live a godly life? They're not there yet. You have power over sin because of the spirit of God in you energizing, empowering, leading, giving you wisdom. But someone who's not a believer yet, according to scripture has no power over sin. In fact, in a lot of ways they won't even see that it is sin. So the Bible says you're going to treat people differently. And then here's where you get that third category. It's a bit scary to me. The Bible says basically that somewhere along the line, you receive Christ. I call this S1, salvation, S1. Who knows what that journey was like, but ultimately you get here. After salvation, you start climbing the ladder and that ladder is spiritual maturity. And that's S2. But here's the point. This line never impacts this line. You're saved by grace through faith. But through the work of the Spirit, you're going to start making progress. Some people will make enormous amount of progress. Some people will fight the same thing all of their lives, really trying, but not making a lot of progress. But that doesn't impact the salvation line. In other words, look, if I'm an alcoholic and I've been so for 20 years and I get saved, do you think the next day I lose my thirst for alcohol? Doesn't work like that. That's going to be a long process, isn't it? It's going to be a long process. You think when somebody comes in and gets saved, suddenly all sin in their life is gone? What happened to you? Right? So there's an enormous amount of grace and mercy here. But here's where where it gets a little unique. Paul says, if you've got a person in the church who claims to be a believer and is apathetic towards sexual sin, boot them out. In other words, if I claim to be a Christ follower... And I've been a Christ follower for a while, but my attitude is I'll have sex with who I want, when I want, and how I want, and nobody's going to tell me, then they say, go to that person and say, you need to leave. Why? The Bible calls it handing them over to Satan so that somehow they may see the seriousness of their sin, repent, and ultimately be restored and saved. Isn't that interesting? So Someone who comes from the outside is accepted, taken hold of, encouraged, loved, but somebody who's inside and been inside for a long time but has no passion. Now, make sure you understand the two differences. On one end, you've got a guy that says, man, I know I'm struggling. I'm sorry I did this, but there's shame and repentance, and they may go through that for 20 years. Then there's the person who has no shame, no guilt, no repentance, saying, man, I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me. Different. It's a matter of the will. So, I've said before that most churches operate like this. If you, if you behave then we'll let you come into our church. And if you believe, we'll accept you. Jesus turned it upside down. No, we're going to accept you from day one. Come in. you, you, You belong. Welcome home. And we're going to teach you. And through your journey, for some, it'll be short, for some, it'll be long. You'll believe one day. And it's the Holy Spirit's work to transform you, not mine. My job is to keep loving you, being patient with you, and preaching the truth. In fact, the only group of people that the Bible says your patience will run out is the believer who knows better and refuses to do it. And then for the sake of salvation and for them to see the seriousness of what they're doing, time to go.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines. The message acceptance is one that sprung from Pastor Jeff asking his congregation for questions they want answers to. Let's continue now.
0: Now, I want to read this to you in the message translation of that passage I just read. Listen carefully. (laughs) I wrote to you in my earlier letter that you shouldn't make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I didn't mean that you should have nothing at all to do with outsiders of that sort or with crooks, whether blue or white collar, or with spiritual phonies for that matter. You'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I'm saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine when a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous or crooked, is flipped with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory. You can't just go along with this, treating it as acceptable behavior. I'm not responsible for what outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? Wow, wow. So let's answer the question now. Pastor Jeff, Jeff, How does the church view homosexuality? One of many sexual sins when it's acted upon. So if a person says, I have an attraction to the same sex, that is not a sin. It's a reality of what's going on inside them. Hey, when a young man wants to sleep with a girl that he's not married to, and he has that emotion, he's not sinned. The sin happens when he carries out. And my job is to help this young man who has the temptation with this young girl to love him and to say, brother, I'm going to coach you through this. I'm going to pray with you. That's why everybody should be in a mentoring relationship. You're not strong enough on your own. And I will pray with you, never judging you, but praying with you. So God is calling me and you to encourage and to bear each other's burdens because you've got sin in your life too that you need somebody to come alongside you and help you weather the storm. So when somebody comes to me, I say, first of all, your feelings are real. I acknowledge that they're real and that your struggle is real and your emotions are real. And I'm here for you and I'm going to pray for you. But I'm also here as a pastor of the word of God to tell you that you can't act on this. But if you do, there is forgiveness. But I'm going to challenge you to continue to have, as you experience the guilt and shame, to keep improving and I'm here with you. I just want this to be a place that is safe for all people struggling with all sins to come. And everyone would be treated equally. I want that so badly. Oh man. I want that so badly. I, I I am thrilled about this young girl coming to talk to me to know that I would love her and not look at her any differently. I just loved that but that I would stand on the truth of the word of God. Now, there are two questions I get asked that I want to answer for you. I get asked them often, and I usually don't answer them on email because it's too long. So just listen, two questions. Pastor Jeff, can a sexually immoral person serve at CCV? Can we rephrase that? Can a sinner serve at CCV? (laughs) If not, we'll have to close the doors when you leave today. (laughs) See, it's a matter of the will. It's a matter of, you know, if if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Jeff, I love pornography, I want to serve, and I'm going to keep looking for it. It's like, dude, 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 listen, listen. it doesn't work like that. If a person comes to me, Pastor Jeff, I want to serve in this area, but I'm sleeping with my girlfriend and I'm not going to stop. You got a problem with that? Yes, I do. Yeah. If a person comes to me, Pastor Jeff, I have same-sex attraction, can I serve? But I'm really fighting this and I'm trying to find my way. Of course you can, come on. I'm going to pray with you, man. We're going to get this thing. You see? So of course, of course. Now there are some positions in the church that are a bit more risky and we're supposed to use greater wisdom. In other words, what I mean by that is that if you're in my position, the Bible uses a Greek word called anapolyptum, which means above reproach, which means there, if for me to take this stage and for anybody to serve in the role of eldership here, your life has to be above reproach to the degree that if people made accusations against you, they would not stand. And so just to make sure you know I'm not making that up, listen to a passage that Paul writes to Timothy. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work in preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is bought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So if I were to commit a public sin, if, I were, if the elders were to catch me watching pornography up in my office, if they were to catch me in an affair cheating on my wife, if my attitudes of hate just kind of begin to permeate my ministry, it is their responsibility to bring me up in front of you and say that, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, has sinned in hopes that I would repent before you and then to be removed for a season out of ministry until I've made my peace with what's going on, gotten some counseling, and truly repented before I can take this position. And sometimes a pastor can do something that removes him from being a preacher for the rest of his life. Sometimes you can make a decision from which you can't recover. God forgives you, and the people of God forgive you, but you can't take this stage anymore. Second question, will Jeff Vines perform wedding ceremonies for those who are presently living in sexually immoral situations? The answer is no and yes. No and yes. If people of the same sex come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, will you perform a wedding? My answer is no. Well, why would I, why, first of all, why do you want me to marry you when the Bible that I preach and believe in says that this is not right? So you want me to do something to go against God's will for your life. Can't do that. I'll love you. And you're welcome in my home. We'll play golf together. We'll do whatever, but can't marry you. Let's say two people who are living together come to me and say, Pastor Jeff, we're living together. Will you marry us? No, no. If you'll move out and abstain and repent for what you've been doing and do some counseling with me, then when the wedding date comes, I'll perform the ceremony. If you're not willing to move out and you're not willing to remain sexually pure until the wedding, can't help you. But Pastor Jeff, what if, what if they've got five kids? They've been together for 40 years. You're gonna, tell, you're gonna tell them to move out? Well, no, I don't think so. Can you imagine dad come home? Pastor Jeff says, I gotta leave the family. <laughs> what would I do then? I would say, okay, mom, dad, you know what I'm gonna ask you to do? No sleeping together. But you can't leave the kids, man. (laughs) Now, if you're single and you come to me, you're not single, but if you come to me and say, well, Pastor Jeff, we're going to live together for financial reasons. We don't have any kids, but we promise we won't sleep together. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever heard of Pinocchio? I mean, come on, man. Really? Really? You want me to believe that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Plus, why would you put yourself in a position where the temptation is going to be so great? No, that's not smart. So no, I won't do it. Well, I married two unbelievers. Yep. Yeah. If they go through 10 weeks of counseling and I can share the gospel by the 10th week and they both get saved. <laughs> that's opportunity, man. <laughs> or will I marry a believer to an unbeliever? No, unless you come to counseling for 10 weeks. And I, say, Bottom line is I'm not going to do anything that the Bible says don't do. Amen. Uh, and so that's what you can trust of me and your staff. But the overarching passage that all of this has to be governed by is Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Please help me create a church where all people are protected, loved, and welcomed. Please and that we will carry each other's burdens and you will not see their sin as worse than yours. Help me do that. Because in doing so, as you carry and bear each other's burdens, there would be so many people who will feel welcomed here to come in and then to love Jesus and to know him. Okay, would you help me with that? This is, my la- this is the final thing. Caleb Cottonball is a friend of mine. Preaches up in Simi Valley. Uh, Christianity Today did a story on him because both his mom and dad came out gay, obviously separated, and this was very young in his life. He's written a book called Messy Grace, how a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. They would take him to gay pride days and gay parades, and he learned over a period of time to hate Christians. Part of it is that when they would go to these parades, Christians would be holding signs that said, "I hate God hates you, and they'd spray urine and water on them. Okay, that's very kind. Can't you see Jesus doing that? Peter, hand me the urine gun. (laughs) So not everybody who claims to be a Christian is a Christ follower. So they took him to parades and organizations. He learned to hate Christians too, but then he met some Christians that were different. Very intellectual, Caleb is, and he ends up becoming a Christ follower. And not only that, he brought both his parents to Jesus. (laughs) Listen to this. He said, I always told my parents that God loved them, not based on their sexuality, but because of what his son accomplished on the cross for them. Then he says, I had to continually show them examples of people, including my friends, who were not like the Christians they had known before. And then they ask him, how has reconciling your parents influenced your ministry? He said, after I first bought my mom to one of my former churches, two elders basically said, if you want to keep preaching here, don't ever bring someone like your mother again. That was my last Sunday there. I, I prayed, Lord, if you, if you give me the chance to lead a church, I want to be a place for people struggling with sexual identity, for addicts and gangbangers, for people who are bankrupt, for people having affairs. In my current church, we absolutely believe God has expectations for sexuality, but I am not called to change anyone's sexual orientation. My goal is to preach the gospel and to share Jesus. The LGBT people who attend know about our traditional views. That doesn't stop us from loving and embracing them. He's turned it upside down. They accept, believe, behave. And so my prayer and hope is that you would confess your sin of hatred toward the gay and lesbian community and ask for forgiveness. And that you would actually love and care about all people. My hope is also that if you're in the room and you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you're not married or you're sleeping with your boyfriend, that you would repent today and you would recognize this is not the playbook God has given. And although you don't see the disintegration, don't try to outsmart God, it's there. It will affect you for years to come. If you're in the room and you're addicted to pornography, get rid of the computer, get it out of your house if you have to. Jesus said, it's better to pluck out your eye than to lose your soul. If you're in an affair, knock it off. End it today, repent and say this is not Christ-like and getting counseling with your wife or your husband. Work this thing out. The feelings and emotions that you have do not determine what is real and true. It might determine how you feel. Nobody's arguing with that. But all of our feelings and emotions must be subjective to the ultimate objective truth of the word of God. And when we do, God says, you won't miss out on the life that I've had for you. But if you do, you'll be missing so much. Let's pray for each other. Our prayer in Jesus' name.
1: Thanks for joining us on today with Jeff Vines. That's the end of acceptance about accepting all sexual sin as against God's design, but a reminder we are called to love and accept others and to carry each other's burdens as we journey together to live in harmony with our Creator. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.